Hello and welcome to Climactic. I'm Mark Spencer. We've got some exciting news about the show coming soon. I can't wait to tell you about new hosts and a new style. It'll be the Climactic you love, just extended. But more on that very soon. One last piece of housekeeping before we get into a story from Stapadani Gold Coast. Climactic is part of this year's Australian Podcast Awards, and we're going for a documentary and storytelling prize. We never would have thought we'd be ready to do such a thing while we're still in our first year. But a past guest actually called us out and asked why we weren't there in the popular vote. And we really couldn't think of a good reason not to be. So we're making a run for an Australian Podcast Award. Because 2019 needs to be a year of climate change action. And winning such an award would help us do more, reach more people, and honestly, be really cool. But we need your help in order to do that. Just head to climactic.fm slash podcast awards to learn how to vote, or click the link in the show notes. Give us a vote and tell a friend, when we'd be so grateful. Thanks. Now, on with the show. Stop Adani is a grassroots collection of activist groups spread all over Australia, united by one simple yet monumental goal. It's right there in the name, Stop Adani. But what's Adani? Why should it be stopped? Adani is a man, an Indian tycoon behind his namesake, the Adani Group, headquartered in Ahmedabad, Gujarat, India. The Adani Group, like other corporations, are involved in many things. So are Australian citizens taking up activism to try and stop an Indian corporation that does logistics, real estate, or financial services? No. Adani, in the last few years, has become India's biggest privately-owned power producer. And they do this the old-fashioned way, by burning coal. This coal comes from mines the company owns in India, Indonesia, and Australia, bringing us back closer to home. It's these mines and a massive new mine planned for northern Queensland called Carmichael that have got groups around Australia alarmed and active. Now, let's hear directly from one of these groups how they got involved in this campaign, what motivates them, and what it's like to be a campaigner in the fight to stop Adani. Hey everyone, my name's Luna. Um, welcome to Climactic Podcast. Um, we're here tonight with the Stop Adani Gold Coast group, which I'm a part of. Um, but first of all, I just want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. That's the Kumba Mary and Yuganbear speaking people. We're on Bundjalung country and we acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and this land that we're meeting on tonight always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. Stopadani Gold Coast. For those of you not familiar, the Gold Coast is on Australia's eastern coast in the state of Queensland. We've got 57 kilometres of stunning coastline surrounded by heritage-listed rainforest. The Gold Coast is pretty much one of Australia's major tourist destinations. It's like the Miami of Australia, home to surf, sand, sunshine, 
meter maids, schoolies, a mayor who has any sort of development at the top of the agenda, and it's pretty traditionally politically conservative, but now it's also home to a very active Stopadani group. So we're here tonight to talk about this group and about collective action, and I just want to introduce everyone in the room, so if you could all give me your name, your age, and where you're originally from. So I'll we'll start with you, Lorinda. Oh, hello. Um, my name's Lorinda. I'm 43 years old. I'm originally from New York in the United States, but then also have lived in New Zealand for a very long time, and now I'm here. Hi, I'm Chus. I'm Fetty. I'm from Spain. Hi, I'm Jackie. Uh, I'm 31, and I'm originally from Venezuela. Hi, I'm James. I'm 34, and I grew up around this coast of central Queensland, Rockhampton and Mackay. I'm Matt, and I'm 33, and I'm from the suburbs of Sydney. I'm Jesse, and I'm 31 years old, and I was born on the Gold Coast. I'm Liz, I'm 27, and I'm, up, I'm from um, Townsville in North Queensland. My name is Jennifer, I'm 54, and I grew up in Melbourne. My name is Michael, I'm 39 years old, and I'm originally from Holland. I'm Luna, I'm 30. I was actually born in Papua New Guinea, but I grew up in Tasmania. And I'm Suzette, and I'm uh, born in Australia. Uh, grew up here, had 20 years overseas in England and France, and then I came back to Australia, and I'm 74. And uh, Yeah, so you can see there's a pretty wide range of origins and ages that make up this group. But Matt, how did this group get started? Yeah, it's a good question. A big shout out to all those people who aren't here tonight as well. There's a lot of people out there that um, yeah, that's are true. like yeah. um, of all diverse ranges and ages and yeah, but yeah. How did the group get started? I guess I had moved back to the Gold Coast kind of after working in Brisbane for a couple of years and came back and wanted to do something around climate change because that's the thing I'm most passionate about and kind of was assembling a bunch of my friends bunch of random people that I knew were passionate about climate change and just cold called a bunch of people and was going to try and start up a meeting and to try and get a group together and then at the same time that I was doing that it just so happened that the Stop Adani Alliance formed and we had a number of roadshows around the country um, which created a huge buzz and it just kind of seemed to make sense to try and target Adani as a part of our campaign um, locally. Um, because it was a really galvanising issue and it brought a lot of people in from around Australia and like also just locally it seemed to cut through to impacting a lot of volunteers and, and getting people from all different walks of life involved. So yeah, that was the starting point. Uh, it was just a meeting with some informal friends and random people. Yeah. And why is this such a galvanising issue? Well, uh, tell us a little bit about the mine and why we're trying to stop it. Yeah, so I think galvanises people and it, it cuts across so many different sections of society. For those of you who may not be aware of the mine, you know, those in listener land, the proposed Carmichael coal mine is situated in central kind of north Queensland area, um, close to the Barrier Reef. And it, well, it's been proposed to be the largest coal mine in the southern hemisphere. The company that's proposing to build this mine is Adani. It's a, an Indian-based company with a crazy complex corporate structure with a really dodgy track record of um, environmental destruction in India, bribery and money laundering, you know, and that, that's alleged, that stuff. And 
they, I guess, they want to build this huge coal mine. It's it's ridiculous the scale they want to build it on. Um, but they want to build it on the Galilee Basin, which happens to be one of the largest untapped coal reserves in the world. And this is at a time when the world must critically move away from fossil fuels. And you know, we've had the recent IPCC report last year, which just reinforced the pace in which we need to move away from fossil fuels. The Adani coal mine, for one, is just absolutely absurd idea given the current state of the climate. But then it also cuts across because of Adani's dodgy track record in India and the potential kind of dodgy track record that they've already got in Australia. Um, They've already been prosecuted by the Queensland state government for uh, leaching water, contaminated water into the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. But there's there's a number of reasons, like they are planning to dredge, you know, or drain 12.5 billion litres of water from the local Sudo River, and this is in an area of Australia that is really, really dry, and that um, a number of graziers in the area, you know, rely on water to, to help their farms prosper. So, you know, it could potentially really damage the surface water and then could also really damage the Great Artesian Basin, which is like a lifeblood for our country. And... There's also like, you know, other elements of like not paying tax and, you know, just a general feel in Australia and around the world at the moment that, you know, the people aren't being listened to and that, you know, corporates are getting away with destruction and huge profits whilst the rest of us have to work tirelessly just just to try and get ahead, you know, and that I think that divide between the rich and the poor and corporate kind of greed is is becoming more palpable for people. So I think that's cutting across as well. So it galvanises people from all over the place and and we've got people on the Gold Coast who are miners who've said that they are not keen. A little summary, hopefully. And also um, the issue of Indigenous land rights as well. There's, Mm. you know, still a court battle going on with the Wangan and Jangalingu people over the right... To Vidani to use their land that's at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. And and I guess like we would really like to acknowledge that um, you know First Nations people around the world have been front and centre of so much of the climate movement in the last however many years, really, probably since since time immemorial. You know, like they're just just amazing. And locally, the Wangan and Jagalingu people have been fighting Adani for years, since since 2010, I'd imagine. Um, I actually don't know the full stats around how long they've been fighting for, but, you know, the courage that they've shown and, you know, the resilience has been outstanding, really. Like, it's incomparable, really. And, and with Without their continual fight, you know, we the mine could be getting built today. So we really need to acknowledge their struggle and also acknowledge just how personal it's become for some of the traditional owners, you know, and how much Adani's trying to bully them right now and take them to bankruptcy. And, you know, um, it's just shocking what Adani's trying to do. So, yeah, kudos to the First Nations people around the world. Just so grateful for such courage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. and on that note, I kind of wanted to chat to a few of you about how you ended up volunteering for the group and how you joined. And actually, Lorinda, you had a similar issue in regards to First Nations people fighting for their rights to their lands that motivated you to join the group too, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said briefly before, I'm originally from the US, and so uh, when uh, the pipeline was being um, dug in North Dakota, there was a massive convergence of people from all over the U.S. um, and internationally on the land there for the Native American people um, to 
basically fight back. Um, of course, it's all complicated and there's takes a lot of resources, not only of people, but of funds to support such a movement. And so I was really inspired and decided that I wanted to do a bit of a fundraiser here on the Gold Coast to send um, some funds over there. And then a friend of mine brought my attention to going, hey, actually, there's a similar thing happening um, in Australia currently. And that was the Donnie Carmichael coal mine, the proposed coal mine. And so we decided to turn the fundraiser into a fundraiser for the Wanga and Jarlingo Family Council that you mentioned before that have been fighting for a really long time. Um, so after the success of that fundraiser, we got we raised over a thousand dollars, which was really exciting. Um, Matt um, rang me up and said, "Hey, you seem to be keen about climate change. <laughs> do you want to join this group? I want to do this thing." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> cool. And what about you, Suzette? How did you join the group? Oh well, I I went to film um, Guarding the Galilee that oh, yeah. uh, Stop It I Need organised yeah. and that was great it got me really motivated Yeah, and also I happened to be in Stephen Chobo's Electorate which we'll talk about later why okay. he's so key to our <laughs> key to our campaign, well he was, he's not anymore and what about you Michael, how did you join? Yeah the I always underestimated the Adani coal mine, I thought that would never get this far. I thought it was a really ridiculous idea, but once it kept on progressing, I was doing beach cleanups with Sea Shepherd, which is part of the Stop Adani Alliance as well. And the Steve Irwin came past and um, some really powerful people within this group actually had some really good speeches, including you, Luna. And uh, that really fired me up. So uh, from that moment on, I, uh, yeah, I'm as active as possible for the Stop Adani Gold Coast. Yeah, so you um, that kind of leads me into some of the actions we've organised over the last like year and a half, two years. So you joined after the rally with Sea Shepherd. That was a big event that we did down in Broadbeach where the Sea Shepherd drove their boat up the coast and we met them and we had a big rally about taking action on climate changing and bringing attention to the Stop Adani campaign. So we also had those documentary screenings you mentioned, Suzette. Um, that was actually how I joined as well after seeing a Guarding the Galilee screening at Patagonia Store. Same with you, James. Yeah, I was there too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was the Human Sign event, which was interesting. We had to organise that at very short notice. But how many people ended up turning up? Do you remember, Lizzie? Um, I think from memory we had a couple of hundred people, yeah. I think it was, it was like 500, four, wasn't it? It was five. more than 400 because we prepared 400 for the material. material yeah. For yeah, that's right. And, and we ran out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we were giving all of the um, all the crowds, you know, bits of material to wave up in the air as we were getting our drone footage and our film footage. And, yeah, it was just crazy the number of people that just kept coming and coming and coming and where... Yeah, running around. And um, we spelt out um, Stop Adani on the beach, but then we had to add in an exclamation mark, yes. didn't we? So we, yeah. had to, we had to <laughs> more people yeah, turn that's up. right. Yeah. yeah, we had a big exclamation mark on the end. Everyone had their umbrellas out to make the dot at the end. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so another um, action and part of our campaign this past year was also taking on Stephen Chiobo, which is our local... He was... A local, he was our local minister for Parliament, and he was head of an agency called the Export Finance and Insurance Corporation, who were looking at funding suppliers of Adani. 
Now, taking on a Federal Minister of Parliament and a government corporation seems like a pretty ambitious goal. How did we do that, James? Okay, so it all started when myself and another one of our members, Graham, we went up to a meeting in Brisbane of Stop It Only groups from all across the state where we discussed future strategy because just before that, uh, after the state election, the new Premier Anastasia Palaget vetoed a loan that they needed for their railway line, which was for a billion dollars. So we met up to discuss strategy about what were the next steps. And one of the key things that came out of that meeting was that the Export Finance and Insurance Corporation was an avenue for Adani to continue to get propped up with public money uh, to potentially for its suppliers and also potentially for Adani itself for uh, potentially up to the, the same billion dollars it needed from the NAIF because the EFIC has a facility, it's a national interest account to, to give that money in one single go. So myself and Graham participated in some strategy and we fleshed out the early parts of the strategy. Then we came back to our group meeting and we uh, got agreement from everyone else in the group that, that yes, we wanted to take on um, Stephen Shiobo. And it was a bit intimidating. Even at the strategy meeting, a couple of people were saying, uh, this potentially isn't a good idea because Stephen Shiobo is on a, on a huge margin, so you probably won't feel the pressure that much. And uh, the Gold Coast is a really conservative area, so people weren't sure what effect this would have, but uh, we went ahead anyway. And I think it's probably important to note at this point that we'd previously had a meeting with Stephen before we went to this strategy day with uh, Matt mm. and Suzette, and he said some really interesting things. Yeah, in what did he say, Suzette? Well, he said, uh, yeah, 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 I know. Um, by the end of the century, the Gold Coast will be under... Underwater. Underwater. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> under, underwater. Well, like a representative. <laughs> so he pretty much acknowledged um, yeah, the climate a... change and sea level rising and... You know, he's a father of two kids. He <laughs> and he had a little lecturer. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty shocking. Doesn't care about anything else. Yeah. And he also said, like, he's a fan of renewable energy. He, you know, he can't wait for, like, <sighs> everyone to have a solar panel on their roof and a battery and be off the grid. And, you know, like, he totally believes us in climate change. And, yeah, it was crazy. This is the same guy who tried to get Peter Dutton to become Prime Minister. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, no. Yeah, so, yeah he was in charge of EFIC because he was a minister for in, uh, industry, um, tourism. And tourism and investment. Yeah. Trade, yeah, so, trade. And trade and investments. Yeah. I guess we fleshed out our our ask was it was to um he we wanted him to rule out any public money for Adani, mm. didn't we? Mm. From the national interest account. Yeah, for both. For both. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. What do we do then? We, we first wrote, wrote a bunch of letters and had our first action outside of his office where we, we handed in all these postcards mm. explaining why we didn't want him to give public money to Adani. Yeah. yeah, and this was, you know, community members coming along to these events. You know, that was another huge event for us as well. I think we had, you know, 100 or so people at that one. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. The first one we had, like, 
30 odd and that was just a little one we wanted yeah. to scale back and not show him how strong we yeah, were yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then we had that following yeah, one with the speakers and yeah. like we had yeah, yeah 100 community members which was amazing and we had people honking because it, um, his office is in quite a strategic area on the Gold Coast very close to Surfers Paradise and a uh, flow through of traffic of people driving to work so we had so many people honking in support um, of all the signs that we were hanging up and everything. But what actually ended up happening in the end after that pressure we placed it in? Yeah, so I believe it was after that Sea Shepherd event that we just mentioned. And previously, the Australian federal government's got a thing called Senate Estimates where government bureaucrats can be, be taken before a panel of, of senators and questioned about things. And the boss of EFIC a few months earlier had said that they are looking at funding several of Adani's suppliers with, through EFIC. And then around the time, of, just after that Sea Shepherd event, the same guy came before Senate Estimates again and said that they're no longer in contact with any Adani suppliers whatsoever. They were very clear in that they were distancing themselves from, from Adani. So it was a win. Yeah, so it just goes to show putting that community pressure on a member and showing, you know, that we're holding government agencies to account, mm -hmm. that the people are watching and we know what they're up to, that they do have to come out and make, make a stand on something because they can't get away with everything behind closed doors. Yeah. And we were just saying earlier, but we always have to remain vigilant because we never know whether Adani could, I mean, Epic could uh, flick back into action and potentially fund it mm. in the future, hey? Yeah, totally. There's like not much accountability around Epic. Like there's really only a few channels to make them accountable and they've got huge amounts of money, taxpayer money that they can just throw at dodgy things, you know, and so, yeah, it's, keep your eyes out on EFIC. And, and it seems it. like the government is continually finding ways to use taxpayers' money to somehow fund this mine, which seems really, really strange. Mm. Um, so, yes, we're remaining vigilant and we're holding them to account. But um, obviously when you, we're all volunteers, um, we all, you know, either study, work full-time, all that kind of thing, and, of course, when you're campaigning for such an long ongoing um, issue like this there are struggles so I just um, want to cross to a few of you and maybe um, ask you a bit about those different struggles. Lizzie did you want to? Yeah yeah I guess um, one huge struggle for us on the Gold Coast is that LLNP holds some very safe seats on the Gold Coast and that can be really hard when looking at um, putting together political strategies. A lot of the time well, in some cases anyway, we've found that we haven't always had been able to follow the same path as some of the other grassroots groups across the nation um, and across our state because of that. So, yeah, having to look to see what more we can do there. Um, we've also, yeah, just sequencing events and, and having, you know, touching base with volunteers and, and having that all link in nicely together has been a bit of a challenge and... Nothing that we haven't been able to problem solve though, which is great. But yeah, different things like that has been has been hard, definitely. Yeah, and we've had such rapid growth as well with our social media pages and everything, like new members and wanting to join all the time. So we really want to make contact with them and it's often a struggle to keep up with that, but that's mm. definitely one of our future focuses. What <clears throat> what about you, Matt? Are there any other struggles that you've seen that we've Um Yeah, I, I don't know, like it's hard, hey. I think what like, what I'm really inspired about is that we are in a conservative area, but, but that doesn't mean that people who may hold 
more conservative values can't take action on climate change. Possibly, like, I think sometimes a struggle can be that we already have this expectation that we can't, that, that like, we're going to fail before we start, you know, like, because of the conservative image that the Gold Coast has. But it's such a place of potential. We've got to win the hearts and minds of everyone. And so we, we have to do this in these places like the Gold Coast. And so I guess sometimes the struggle can be just like convincing people, like it doesn't matter where you live or who you are or what your background is, that climate change affects all of us and we should all be doing something about it and we can all do something about it. It's not like a conservative issue that you just oh, well, you don't get involved in it because you vote conservatively. No, like, you should totally be involved in it and there's a space for everyone in it. But getting that narrative across to our volunteers and telling people in our electorate that we can make a difference can sometimes be a challenge, um, which, you know, we've kind of smashed with ethic, which is kind of cool. Do you know, I think sometimes as well, when we knock on people's doors and they're like, oh, my goodness, stop a darny person, what are you doing here? It's They're seeing grassroots things happening mm. and they're really quite inspired themselves you mm. know so that's yeah that, yeah it's quite amazing yeah, yeah so actually leading on from that because you organized a lot of the door knocking didn't you jennifer yes yes yeah. um so that was been one of our like focuses lately one of our action focuses lately hasn't it yeah and i mean i think you know for for all the volunteers that do it you know we all come back really inspired and hyped up i mean it's a great thing because with the fight that we're doing, we're all united and so many of the people that we talk to don't know a lot but understand, we're giving them a lot more understanding and they agree with us. They understand, they don't understand but I mean, they're gaining knowledge. And they realise we're not all these crazy hippie groups. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and then they, they, they believe it's, oh my God, someone's doing something, it's not the government but uh, yeah, someone's fighting for our climate change because everyone believes in the climate change but... Yeah. Not that many people may be doing that much about it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So what's the focus now leading up to the federal election in May, Michael? I might cross to you for yeah. this one. Yeah, so we will continue on door knocking. It's really important that we keep the pressure on our politicians that this mine can't go through. Climate change is really happening all around us all the time, so we have to stop it and we can't afford a mine like Adani. So. We will be doing more door knocking as we've done for months already and we will continue on for uh, months coming. And so, why is door knocking so key? So like Jennifer was saying, some people are not aware of what Adani is or uh, yeah, how important this issue is. There's also a lot of people that agree with us, around 72% of people agree and oppose the Adani mine. A lot of people like our yard signs and like to create more awareness themselves by hanging up a um, stop a down a yard sign, which we provide. And then yeah, we're also having postcards on us that they can sign with a um, with a reaction towards their local member in parliament, Karen Andrews. Basically, we are the voice for those people um, towards a, a local politician. So in the months leading up to the elections, we will be everywhere around the Gold Coast just to, to create more awareness and put pressure on the politicians. And there's groups like us all over Australia doing exactly the same thing. How many groups are there now, Matt? Uh, there's around 90 groups in yeah, Australia. Yeah, 90 groups yeah. all over Australia just like us doing a very similar thing, raising awareness about the mine but also holding our politicians to account and make 
hopefully making this a key federal election issue. Not hopefully, we are making it a key federal <laughs> yeah, election definitely. issue. Damn. So just like looking back on some of our wins, the big four banks in Australia have ruled out funding Adani. Uh, 35 international banks have ruled out funding Adani. Queensland State Labor vetoed the $1 billion NAIF loan. So the NAIF is a Northern Australia infrastructure facility. They have a pool of funding that they're meant to put towards projects in Northern Queensland and Northern Australia. So yeah, we got Queensland State Labor to veto that. We had EFIC um, distancing themselves of any loans for any Adani suppliers. And then national polls have found that three quarters of Australian consistently oppose the mine. Um, and this is all thanks to work of just everyday, or you'd say extraordinary people, Michael, um, all across <laughs> Australia, just putting in a couple of hours of their time each week to volunteering about a cause that they care about. So. Jesse, I just want to cross to you now. How do you think we've achieved so much with not that many people? I guess this group is pretty good. And I think for any anyone who wants to start a grassroots group, something to remember is to, to base some ground rules or some principles that you can all act from to empower each other. And some of those for us are having an inclusive culture and also utilising people's strengths. I think people, there's this apathetic state towards politics generally from Australians and they're like, oh, I can't do anything, you know, I can't really, I can't get involved. Nothing I do is going to change what what the status quo is, that kind of thing. And that's that kind of, it's like we want to take a step back away from the politics and just let it happen. And I think what we need to do is empower people by saying, well, you can actually do something and it doesn't have to be a massive amount. And what you, what you find is that when you give someone just even a little bit, you know, you give them a little taste of of a win, like some of the wins we talked about, they're probably more likely to go on step up and, and step into leadership roles. We need to provide spaces for people to do things and operate in ways that are meaningful to them about, about acting on climate change. So we have all sorts of people in our group. We have artists, we have musicians, we have journalists, we have scientists, we have land managers, we have teachers, librarians, painters, all sorts of people from all sorts of disciplines in life and they've all got skills and they're all apply applicable to something you can do to combat the power brokers against us. We need people to paint banners because we want to be visible, you know, <laughs> so we need painters to paint banners and, yeah. and we need people to write press releases because power brokers have, they, they have people who are employed for their propaganda, you know, Murdoch and, and, and that kind of thing in this country uh, get a real good say of, of what, what gets said in the public discourse. So we need to have journalists and be, and be talking to people. And we have those in, in our group. And, and there's, there's countless people like that in other groups as well. We need artists, we need documentary filmmakers to be inspired, to let us know that there are other, other people out there winning all the time. There's, there's all these wins happening and we need to be able to inspire each other and go, hey, look, we can do this. Like, they've done this here, here and here. And we, we need people who are organisers. So we need people to organise to have those events happen so that people can get down there with their popcorn and, and you know, and a drink and, and watch a, a documentary about. And we need people to set up, like, set the tables up and <laughs> and and rattle the tins and generate some money because the power brokers we're fighting against 
they've got the funding and we don't. We have our spare time sort of thing. So it's about creating a purpose for anyone to be able to be involved. We don't expect that everybody is going to be knocking on doors and go, hey, how are you going? Like, yeah. do you want to talk about climate change? Because not everyone's an extrovert. But we do have extroverts in, in, in amongst our groups. And we do have who, who training do as well, of, even yeah. if you are an introvert. Training, <laughs> so you can, yeah. can knock on people's yeah. doors. That, that training well. every week before the volunteering is just inspiring us. Yeah. It's fantastic. And it's a lot easier than what people think it is. Yeah. yeah. So. I think that's, the, that's what's beautiful about a grassroots movement mm. is that everyone's always happy to help each other out. It's not like the workplace. It's not like you're just punching in your, your ticket sort of yeah. thing. And, and there's no competition or anything we've all got like one goal together like stop Adani and the climate climate movement more generally is about connection to each other so we're always trying to teach each other new things and like th that's one of the things that i get out of these kind of groups is that like wow I'm, I'm learning from like journalists how to write better or i'm i'm learning from public speakers how to speak better or I'm learning strategy, or I'm learning about ethic. <laughs> <laughs> but just by joining a group, you're also more informed, yeah. and yeah. you're also empowering your community to inform each other. And in, in a way, we're almost like a little mini news hub ourselves, mm. where, where we're generating the narrative about climate on the Gold Coast mm. rather than the Gold Coast Bulletin, you know? Yeah. 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 So we mentioned how important social media has been for us. Okay, yeah. and especially that by helping us to create the narrative. Mm, yeah. yeah, we've got what, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram all going strong, reaching tens of thousands of people uh, across, you know, since they've been founded. Uh, Facebook's yeah. got like 1,200 followers. Mm. And on top of that, it's really useful for organising our group too, isn't it, with our closed group where we can yeah. post important information and, and communicate with each other mm. on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, it's been a good tool. And also so important to keep our followers updated with where the mine's at and all that kind of thing. So where where is the mine at at the moment, Matt? It's interesting to, to talk about this kind of, do this podcast. So I guess part of the reason why we wanted to do this podcast, I think, was to reflect whilst we're actually going and actually acknowledge some of the cool stuff that we're, we've been doing along the way because it is such a long uh, struggle like it's been an eight-year struggle so far. The mine was proposed in 2010, so oh, well, so it's probably getting into its ninth year now. We want to acknowledge all the amazing work that we've done, and we want to kind of inspire new groups and kind of share some different ideas around groups, you know, and how to how to make things work in a grassroots group, but how powerful grassroots groups can be. And I guess in saying all those positive things and all that stuff. We, this is a really critical stage for the mine and it's a really critical stage for the climate movement internationally. It's, it's critical for our, the future of our planet that this mine is stopped. I guess it's getting to a point where we've got a federal election scheduled for around May. The current Labor Party in Australia is on the fence or, you know, they're just tacitly supporting Adani, like they're not coming out either way saying that they're against it. They've said you know, in various rhetoric at different times that it needs to stack up environmentally and also economically. So it's it's a critical time um, at the moment because the Labor Party looks like they probably get into power. Adani, meanwhile, has been trying to bully their way through and get a bunch of approvals. And they've cut their mind back. Well, that's what they're telling us they're doing, but I, I don't believe them. <laughs> um, and neither does most, most people who 
you know, I don't think anything that you, they say you can you can actually believe too much. But essentially, what they're trying to do is do a scaled back version of the mine, try and find all the finance within from within the company, and then try and push through the mine right now as much as they can to try and get all their approvals to try and start before the federal election. I think that they're worried about what could happen after the federal election if Labor's elected. So it's a really critical time because they can start construction and and potentially start actually digging out the mine, creating infrastructure. And once they do that, then the Labor Party might just go, oh, it's all too hard, we're not going to stop it. Um, and that would just be a complete disaster. So so this is a really critical time. It's really important that we keep pushing against the mine. I guess like, hopefully some of this podcast can be inspiring for people to get involved. So For me, um, yeah, climate change, you know, the Donnie coal mine, like all that stuff can be so heavy. And like last year I just struggled and I was like so depressed over it all. It's just like, oh my God, we're dying. You know, like I ask kids, what do you think about the future? And they're just like, we're destroying it, we're dying. Um, so, you know, and I think for me what rouses it up is to kind of go, wow, actually community. That's where it's at. It's like, who's in the community? Do I know my neighbors? Where do I get my food? Where does my food come from? How am I connected with that? So if I am what I eat, then am I connected with my backyard? Um, you know, and you get to meet all these really groovy people. Like that's the main reason why I'm in this group because it's just like, how can you not be? I don't know. It's it's really difficult to try and kind of be out there by yourself and just go, okay, I'm not powerful. But when we come together, it, it feels really uh, possible, like change mm. is possible, change I th- is possible. I think like you just said, mm. you know, you, you're by yourself and you just feel not apathetic. strong. Yeah, and then that leads to being apathetic. But I think for me, working full-time, exhausted, older, I'm getting exhausted, but every little bit and in, combi- in combination, you see it grow. Mm. That's that's mm. what's really cool because by yourself you can't do much, but getting like-minded mm. people, it grows and that's... Dance on the grave of apathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are kids saying to you? Like, because you, you're an educator, you work with young kids on the Gold Coast. Like, what yeah. do they say about like climate change? It's astounding. Change? Well, climate change, I don't ask them directly. Maybe I should do that. But I just ask them generally, what do they feel about the future of the world? I just throw the question at them. I don't front load it. I just walk in with them or I just kind of hit them sideline. And I usually get uh, three three different answers. It's not looking good. We're destroying it. A lot of AI. They're really aware of the um, uh, artificial intelligence coming and we're worth three. And um, yeah, so who, whoever's listening to this, you know, if we're still adding to the podcast or whatever, but if you're listening, the Gold Coast is pristine. The ocean is incredibly clear. The weather is just perfect. If it's not, you know, um, sunny one day or good weather one day is perfect the next. What's the saying? Yeah, I don't know, like, beautiful one day, perfect the yeah, next. Yeah, beautiful yeah. one day, perfect the next. So, I mean, these kids live in an, an incredibly pristine, safe don't know where you live or whatever. I I leave my car unlocked. My door's unlocked in my house. You know, like, I live in an unlocked life. Don't give out your address. And so so I'm thinking, where are these kids getting this information? Yeah, right. Where are these kids getting this information, you know? Like, so if, if their daily life is safe, it's in an incredible environment. There's, you know, hardly any rubbish that you see compared to other places, even though there's a big plastic movement happening, no plastic in the Gold Coast as well, which is really great. But I mean, like, so I kind of go, okay, it's the media. Like, mm. it's the media, it's the conversations in their home. So mm. it, I feel like if we could change the conversations to kind of go, actually, this is the picture of the future we're creating. It's people talking to each other. You can mm. contribute in your community. We can go get our mm. food. And mm. we know Farmer Joe down the road. Because there's an incredible amount of Farmer Joes. 
in this town as well too. They're not necessarily named Joe, but there's a lot of farmers <laughs> yeah. here. You know, like we have a farm, plant-based, a lot of them organic food, and and almost every single little community of this 57-kilometer-long stretch. Like, you know, pick one on a Saturday or Sunday, wherever you want to go. You know, like there's there's an incredible amount of opportunity to 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 get what you need locally. You know, so this whole idea of of kind of just going in the same treadmill of craziness is What do the is, kids think about, um, you know, so they're learning all about climate change in schools and then they're reading the papers or listening to the news. Surely it doesn't add up for them as well. How, how are they reacting to that? I don't know. Like I said, I need to ask them specifically about that. But I tell you what, I was working in Fiji late last year and the kids there can hold a conversation about climate change because it's in their backyards. You know, like they had this big hurricane, Winston, and one of the schools we were working with had a big old tree that went through the wall and they're still like, you know, kind of patching it up. The thing looks like it's about to fall in their heads. It was super unsafe, mm. you know. So little 12-year-olds can have a really in-depth conversation about climate change because yeah. it's there. Yeah. Um, so I think I think I think that's you know unfortunately seems where it's going to get at. So you know, we'll have the conversation once we need to. Yeah, we need more conversations. What do you, yeah. What do you think? So there's a guy in our local papers, the Gold Coast Bulletin, and it's a pretty conservative paper, Rupert Murdoch rag, you'd call it. Yeah. There's various versions of it right around Australia, print the same kind of news stories. And James, you've been like monitoring it, I guess, almost for climate <laughs> news. Oh, yeah. And there's 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 people who um, write in into the editorial section, the letter to the editor or letter to the paper sort of thing. And there's a there's a guy named I won't name his name actually, yeah, but there's name. a particular. Do you think that kind of stuff is that influential? Do you think like in this? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a massive disgrace that uh, the media. There's like uh, certain sections of it. You've already mentioned it. The Rupert Murdoch going papers. But I don't know where the direction has come from, but there's a deafening silence around climate change yeah. in those papers and. When they do mention it, it's only to write off people who are trying to get action on climate change and call us mm. lefties and greenies and act as if we're scum of the earth. Mm. And it's a disgrace. And then you've got letters editor to the bulletin who thinks that he should be publishing uh, climate denialist letters because he, need, he thinks it's important to have the debate when the debate has moved so far oh. beyond that. And all he's doing now is just misinforming people. Mm. Like, they wouldn't run anti-vaxxer letters. They wouldn't run letters saying that smoking doesn't cause cancer. Yeah. Mm. They wouldn't yeah. run anything on those topics, but I think it's a total disservice to the community. And, you know, it's not practising the ethics of journalism to me. So I think it needs to change. I think there's a movement called hashtag end climate silence. So I think we... I don't know how they can change in that organisation, but they need. I think if those newspapers took it seriously, then I think it really quickly would move in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so what, what do we think? Like unsubscribe from Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> <laughs> Is there boycott Murdoch? Boy, boycott Murdoch. <laughs> we always talk about shifting the politics and that kind of thing, like or shifting the completely. Sh the structure like I don't think like this whole thing of um, voting with your wallet or whatever like mm. that to me that's not appropriate there needs to be kind of some kind of resistance like to be able to not have a platform where you're the number one news aggregator for an entire community and you yeah. can we can't just we can't just expect everyone to vote with their wallet because people are buying it 
And it's a shame because I personally would like to support local journalism and that's really the only option for me because, you know, it is important to have a newspaper in your local community to hold your local council to account. But, you know, my only option is, you know, the paper we've just discussed, which is pretty sad. Does anyone feel like it's influential, the paper itself, or is it... Mm -hmm. Is it? I think so. Like you, every cafe that you walk past, you know, like people were standing there waiting in line for their coffee. There's always a copy of the bulletin or some Murdoch newspaper there, and people read the front news. They read the headlines on the paper. Or... Yeah, and it's not even just you know a paper copy either. It's on Facebook and yeah. on you know social media as well. So mm-hmm. it's very accessible. Mm-hmm. It kind of bleeds into people's lives. I think mm-hmm. like yeah, it's subtle. Yeah. Like it just kind of. The discourse makes people who believe in climate change that just that little bit less comfortable to come out in a barbecue or a conversation at a pub and say, yeah, like, go on those kids for the school strike. Good on them. Good on the Stoppadani, you know, guys. And it just makes people that little less comfortable. And I think that's... I think Murdoch's completely intelligent and I think he would that would be part of exactly what he's thinking like it was interesting I was reading an article this week that they published and it was a, a the title of it was perfect weather ahead or perfect uh, or a great climate on the coast forecast or something like that mm, yeah and I read the article and it's talking about how we've had relatively not too much rain and mild kind mm. of weather mm. but then about it was about a 300-word article, and about 150 words in, then they talk about the national averages, how they're half a degree more than they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good news story, and it's reporting on climate and weather, but if you didn't read past the first two paragraphs, you were never going to get the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, Lena, yeah. you helped organise the Australia Institute. They organised a media briefing because they did some research around how the increasing weather was going to affect the Goldie, right? Yeah, and, and people working outdoors. Yeah. That was you know, me on Friday. Yeah. Heat Island. Yeah. Mm. Um, I noticed when they published that story, they heard <coughs> to them, they published a story, I don't think they use the words climate change or global warming like once in the entire story. <laughs> That's it, they always <laughs> twist it. Yeah. Um, they yeah. always yeah. twist it. But in the meanwhile, a lot of everyday like people they notice it like my guy that cleans my pool is like yep we have to add water again because every year we we're facing a bigger drought because mm. we the periods between rainfall and the next rainfall is getting longer and longer and the ground doesn't hold enough water anymore so it's it's becoming more obvious to a lot of people yeah. but the media looks like sometimes deliberately taking it out keeping it out of the media Mm. the yeah. Murdoch media that is mm. yeah. Yeah. and that's television as well it's not just that's mm. almost like they don't want people to know and it looks like some media has got a different agenda than reality and it's mm. it's dangerous it's unethical mm. it's it's yeah. just amoral actually yeah. we're already calling them out right now but can't imagine what you know, 20 years is going to look like for these guys, you know, and mm. we look back on these people, they're already not being painted with a pretty picture. That, yeah, I, I don't know, it's interesting. Do, do people on the, do we think, just to throw it out there, but people on the Gold Coast, do we feel like they grasp the immediacy? Sometimes we talk about 
whether it feels climate change feels like an immediate problem. Do people on the Gold Coast, like in our community, does it feel like we struggle to communicate the immediate need for action? And would the media maybe have the influence on that? I think the media would definitely legitimize, legitimize it because people are, are understanding things are changing, things are not good, but with it not being spoken about in the papers, uh, they may be just a bit reluctant to accept but it's funny. This. Oh, sorry, I was going to say this holiday season, over Christmas, when the beaches should be full of people, they, they were closing the beaches because there were all these stingers. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. You know, because of the water warming. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. Like, it's obvious. We're, you know? we're not going to be a tourist destination for much longer no. because of climate change. Yeah. It's going to affect jobs. Like, it's going to affect so many. Even, we even get, you know, king tides. We get, like, Bud's Beach flooding. And, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's already areas of the Gold Coast that flood on king tides. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. I had a conversation on the, door, on the door on Sunday. A dude, like, probably in his mid to late 30s with a young family who was fully on board and educated about climate change. And then one of the things he said oh, was, oh, oh, well, it's probably not going to affect me, me anyway mm. because I'm going to be too old. But then... As I walked away, I thought what the latest IPCC report says that it really is in our lifetimes. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. exactly like, it's like right now. It's I felt right that now. way on Friday. I was working with a bunch of um, kids in a park, and there wasn't really great accessible shade. And um, this particular day, yeah, just doing games and circus activities with them. And I literally felt like I was watching the kids melt. <laughs> they, they all just went like strawberries. They just went bright red, you know, mm-hmm. within the matter of so. And, and normally, you know, I teach them a few tricks, and then we do a little bit of show for the adults. It's fun, and it just wasn't possible. It wasn't possible. I was just like, let's kind of keep scurrying into the much shade as you can, drink water, put a hat on. Mm-hmm. I'll just be here until my time's up, you know. Like really, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. They were just losing it out, out mm-hmm. you know, just too hot, too hot. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting question jesse i think there's like a lot of layers to answer that one around like but i think that short of it like the media absolutely has an impact but i also think it's not a complex issue i think we sometimes talk about it complex issue essentially the world's getting warmer because we're putting so much pollution in the atmosphere and thickening the atmosphere to the point it traps heat like it's not like a mass like but the way in which like it impacts us is different in some ways like a well-to-do middle-class australian is going to have a very different impact with climate change. It's a very different reality for them than a person who lives in the South Pacific or First Nations person who survives in the Arctic Circle. It's going to be very different for them. And I think that this is where climate justice is really important because we need to start... Like, we, we need to talk to all people about how it impacts them, but supporting and talking about and working with communities that are marginalised and helping them to, to have their, a voice in this. I think it's really powerful when those people who are most impacted by climate change, such as South Pacific nations, get together and go, no, this is our future, this is our land, this is our culture that you're destroying through your fossil fuel burning and, you know, your excess in some ways. So I think, I think that's kind of cool. I, I guess... We're going to have, my view is in climate action, we're just going to have to consistently have conversation after conversation after conversation about this. Like, it's going to be, like, tireless in Mm. some ways. But the school strike stuff cuts through again, I think, Mm. because it's impacted, it's the kids who are impacted, you know, and 
I think that's like really evocative. It's really powerful when people who are on the front lines, really on the front lines, get up and they, no, nah, we're not moving. You have to do something. And that inspires the people who are a little bit passive in their support. Who are the people on the Gold Coast who are really on the front line here? And how can we get them involved? So if you would like to get involved. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to touch on um, building grassroots communities Mm. more, or if anyone's got any more thoughts about that. Mm. You guys, yeah. (laughs) Well, we recently founded a, a community called Plastic Free Gold Coast, mm. and we're doing events, local events involving the community to be more aware of the plastic pollution problem. And obviously, that attracts people that are also uh, related to stop and any movement and other environmental issues because everything is related at the end. Mm. Trying is to build this community as strong as possible and try to spread around Australia, maybe around the world, uh, because also plastic pollution is part of the problem so, of our... Yeah. What sort of events are you having? Or? So the very first one we did was more like a plastic, plastic-free plastic for beginners. Mm-hmm. So it was like a wor- like a talk. Because what we, we don't want to uh, convert everybody to be 100% plastic-free because it's impossible and yeah. complicated. But we wanted to guide people to do little steps. We don't want to point fingers or anything. We yeah. just want to, uh, we want to welcome everybody. And if, if, they, if they start just like rejecting straws and then they, they start rejecting plastic uh, bags, single-use plastics, et cetera, et cetera, cool. then they, they start evolving and going to like up level. Yeah. And we're going to be there to guide them because some of us started years ago or mm. just a month ago, yeah. so we're at different levels, but what we want is people to, to start from the very beginning. Cool. Um, so it's important just to do one little thing. And the second, the second one, we did a workshop with kids, with a kid, it's a nine-year-old called Amber. She's the little ripple on Instagram, and she did a workshop, she run the workshop for other kids, talking about, because she's like an yeah. ambassador of it's like Tree for the Sea, mm-hmm. and so she talked to other kids, about how important it is to take care of the environment, and so we uh, we gave them tote bags, and they painted with the like sea turtles and messages about plastic pollution. And recently, yesterday, we did a beach cleanup, so we started with a yoga class to you know thank, thank the the earth, and then we cleaned. Uh, we also we actually only did 500 uh, meters, and we collected 75 kilograms. We we had to stop because we didn't have enough. Wow. Uh, bags crazy. and yeah. we, we weren't expecting that many people no yeah. no yeah it was how did you people. get people to come along uh, through facebook instagram and yeah mm. so when we're talking about like building grassroots movements like you talked about kids teaching kids do you think this peer-to-peer way of talking to each other is that do you think that's important they were super empowered and because it came from another kid talking about these yeah. problems and she's so involved in, in like every event that we do every event they all even you guys do she's there she's part of it and and when you hear another kid talking about this problem not an adult like trying to teach you then they they get very attracted to, to mm. do we think maybe for our movements in general that people are going to be more receptive to their to their peer groups, is, yeah. is that what do we experience that yeah. when we're knocking on doors and we're trying to win the you know the hearts of the community sort of thing? Mm. Uh, mm. Do we feel that like is that? 
I find when I have been door knocking, if I have um, I have a one-year-old son, Atticus, if I have him with me, I think people understand that, yes, we're trying to do something for his future and I think they're a lot more like they get sort of out of themselves and what their worries are and actually see the big picture and be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is an issue. There is a whole other generation coming up. I've been lucky enough to have this long life of, you know, relative security and mm-hmm. in regards to the weather and all that kind of thing, but what about him yeah. or what mm-hmm. about my grand, my grandson or my granddaughter? I think mm-hmm. it does get them thinking outside of themselves and thinking about that next generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's not necessarily peer-to-peer. But it's because it's not about your opinion. Mm. It's more than that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But I think that when we had the school strike, we did a school strike in front of Karen Andrews' office. It was not us doing it. It was actually school kids being on the national school strike. And um, we happened to be there as well, and um, which was really great. And a lot of these kids are so educated and they are so passionate about climate change, yeah. which is really impressive. And um, a lot of people might have seen her on television as well, a great tattooing bag from Sweden that is striking every Friday. And um, I think that's got a lot of impact on people across the board from all different ages Mm -hmm. when young people are saying enough is enough. We can't go on like this. You are playing with our future Mm -hmm. and there is no price tag to that. Like we deserve a future as well. So I'm really interested to see the numbers as well after that first school strike, them talking to their peers and letting uh, kids know Mm. Yeah, we can do it, we can do it. I'm expecting big numbers from there yep. mm. for the next one. And a few weeks after, there was a big strike in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah. Topadani Gold Coast was in Brisbane as well, where there was thousands of people in the streets with placards and banners and singing and chanting. And um, that was indirectly the success of the school strike as well. I think identity is really critical to this. I think that's something like the messenger is more important than the message a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think like, so having multiple messengers to cut through to their communities really has an impact. So like kind of part of the surfing community, even though like I don't really, <laughs> like I struggle with it and like, but, you know, if I were to kind of try and, try and go down that path, I have legitimacy because I'm a surfer. You know, people are probably going to talk to me, at least respect what I'm saying because they can see a part of them in me. And I think that's something we could do well to encourage as much as possible to have different people of different identities speaking out and mm. talking about this in a public-facing forum. And that helps other people to relate to them and kind of, drops the barriers, the defence mechanisms that people have around listening to climate action. Mm. Yeah. Dropping a stigma. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that we've, been, we've found that has helped a lot to spread the word is like people feel empowered because you feel like you're making an impact on your day-to-day habits, like on your purchase, like everything you purchase. Okay, you can choose to buy something with plastic or you can choose to do something else. Every day you're doing that and you feel like, Okay, by the end of the year, how much money I'm not giving to the to these companies, and I'm giving I'm giving it to these ones mm-hmm. that I support because I believe in what they're doing and they're doing a good impact in the world, and that's something that 
also with plastic free gold coast we we found that has helped people to get empowered and also like okay yeah i'm, I'm making a small impact i'm just one person yeah. but throughout my entire life it's gonna be so big like if yeah. like you start thinking not on one day or one person you're thinking on a whole lifetime and yeah. that's also something that really inspired people i think yeah mm -hmm. and asking for those choices it reminds me of Seattle. I was watching this news report of how they banned straws, for example, and they were saying the only reason why they did it is because people were asking them that they don't, you know, they don't want to use it. And so I think even stuff like that, you know, when you go somewhere like Ketchum at the cafe before they put your smoothie in a plastic cup with a plastic uh, straw, <laughs> you gotta go, yo, can I have this? Or bringing your containers, you know, and, and making it more fun and also, you know, supporting all those really good ideas. Like I'm really, you know, really hoping that um, some of these kids will be more inspired to kind of go, right, I'm going to think about technology completely different or be encouraged to, you know, uh, have all these smart engineers come up with different ways that, you know, we can still kind of have our lifestyle without having to go to primitism. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I like travel. You know, mm -hmm. so I struggle with that. I'm like, damn, you know, when I watch Greta Thunberg and she's like, I don't fly anymore. My mom, who's an opera singer, doesn't fly yeah. anymore. And I'm just like, oh, I really want to go to Africa. go <laughs> 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 climb out next year. Like, oh. you, know, so, you know, like, how do we do that? But I just feel like there's some really smart people on the planet. I'm like, geez, man, okay, like, rise up. I'm, I'll support you. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. There's got to be different ways of doing it. I think I think just the mindset of kind of going, ooh, what else can we do? Mm -hmm. Do but, I have to just, you know, get this job, pay a mortgage, and die? Yeah. Like, it's but change is coming. People are getting more aware, and, yeah. and yeah. you can feel it, you can see it, and that's really uplifting and positive. I think that we're going to see a lot of big changes in the future, but we can't become complacent and think that someone else is going yes, to make those changes. Yes, that is hope. We yeah, can't yeah. think someone else is going to save the world. It takes all of us to do that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that's why grassroots movements are really good because no matter how old or what your background is or religion or whatever you do, you can make a difference. So it doesn't matter what your qualities are or how smart or bright you are. There is a place for everyone in a grassroots movement with your interest and yeah, you are making a difference. We see that every every day. So, and um, yeah, you can make a positive difference to this planet, so. It's interesting too, like we, we had a little bit of contact with someone from the UN <laughs> the other day and just to, to have them come along to one of our meetings. It's funny because like a lot of people perceive power to, to be held in those spaces like the UN, like Parliament, like big business and corporates. and But actually power resides in the people and it's just being able to switch that on mm. and, and go, hey, you know, we, we are the most powerful people in this system mm. and if we all move one way, then they're all going to move with us. Mm. They have to. I feel like governments don't want us to know that. That's why when the school strikers went on mm -hmm. strike, they were like, oh, you know, they should be back in school, like putting them right back mm. down again instead mm. of saying, oh, we hear you. Yes, mm. you're yeah. the yeah. upcoming voters. You're the people that are the future of our country. Mm. Like instead of acknowledging why passion, they're leaving yeah. their passion and why they're walking yeah. out of school they're just trying to shut them down like that yeah. is just so scary to that was disgraceful yeah. but I, I believe that people that are powered by passion are more successful than the people that are powered by money or greed mm -hmm. and i think that will make the difference in the end mm -hmm. whereas if someone goes to work just for the money 
he will he or she won't enjoy himself won't be as productive as someone that goes to work with passion mm-hmm. so and that could be translated in the world with world problems as well kind of, yeah the grassroots is like the heart and soul of it all like we you know without us you know and that, i think that's an inspiring message yeah you know? it, it costs some of us money it costs a lot of time but the enjoyment that you get out of it is what brings us back all the time and it's the passion that we've got for our planet and for this matter this adani coal mine or uh, climate change which is so important to us and frightening to us that mm. keeps us coming back and yeah, you might be tired sometimes from work or should have other things to do, but it's it still keeps you driving all the time. So. Yeah, and we know we're doing the right thing. Mm. It's them that's not. That's, that's right. You know, it's unbelievable, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's just coming back to the basics. And yeah. yeah, it is pretty simple, it's isn't just, it? Yeah. <laughs> fighting corporate worlds and <laughs> fighting our own government. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes when you actually door knock, that's what you get from people. It's like, you know, you speak to the old miners, they come to the door and so it's like, yeah, actually that mine can't go ahead because yeah. they know, you yeah. know, they know yeah. it's wrong and like they're sort of, they know. Yeah. The funny they thing know is, they're doing the right thing. Some people say, who's paying you? But we don't get paid. Like mm. we we don't want your money and we don't get paid. So, but why are you doing this? Well, because we're concerned about our planet. We're concerned about the future of your children. We are concerned about the Great Barrier Reef. We're concerned about the farmers. We're concerned about the Aboriginal people. We're so concerned about so many things that brings us out every every Sunday mm. or every other day that we've got events on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it every day. And that's it. And we're the, the generation that, that we, we will be remembered no matter what. Like that the ones that let the, the chaos happen or the yeah. ones that made the change. Yeah. Because that's, it's a mass. It's like yeah. on our generation, we're yeah. at such a critical yeah. moment now. Yeah, that's right. We have 15 that's years it. or so. Yeah, critical. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's like, to, you know, we've got 11 years left now. 11 years? Yeah, like to, to limit the world to one and a half degrees of warming. I guess we're going to keep fighting no matter what. And like, that kind of doesn't matter. Like, but we've just got to do it ASAP. But I, I think... This is the most interesting time to have ever been born as a human being. Like, like we live in in the most interesting time in history. Like, oh, no, there was dinosaurs once. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would have been pretty cool. That would have been pretty cool, actually. <laughs> that was that was the previous massive um, extinction, and yeah. now we're working on the next one, or we're yeah, trying yeah, to fight it. On it. <laughs> <laughs> some are working on it. Some are trying to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we put out a big shout out to Guy? as well like yes. in the recording so yeah. can we like thanks guys thanks guys thanks guys yeah and like yeah all hands on deck 2019 yeah so i guess um the point of this podcast is just to inspire anyone out there like if there's a stop Adani group near where you are or a climate change action group like definitely get involved or if there isn't just start your own just get a group of like-minded people together and you can make great things happen is there anything Thanks to Matt, Luna, and the whole Stapadani Gold Coast team for their efforts in this campaign and for taking the time to sit down together in a studio to share their story with us. It's our dream here at Climactic to be a platform where groups can tell their stories, just like this. We're thrilled they jumped at the opportunity. And we invite other groups to follow their lead. 
and get in touch with us at hello at climactic.fm. I've been Mark Spencer, and on behalf of the Climactic team, Rich, Hazel, Maxine, Georgia, and Bronwyn, thank you for joining us, and have a great week. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.